and we are going to continue with 1 Thessalonians. We're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. But I just want to read um, from verse 9 again um, to remind ourselves since it's been almost a month since the last lesson from 1 Thessalonians. So let's get into that. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 9. It says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? And uh, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And um, that's where we stopped last time. So just to, to recap what we spoke about in verse 9, um, it says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? for all the joy wherewith we joy for your, um, for your sakes before our God. And we said there that true and lasting joy comes from a thankful heart. And this thankfulness is not a thankfulness that only comes when things are going well. In verse 7 we read about Paul being an affliction. And um, we know that even this church, these people he, he was dealing with, they were not necessarily fully grounded in the truth. They had a lot of things they still had to learn, so there was a lot of work still for Paul to do. But nonetheless, he thanked God for them. And so we looked at um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 where Paul says, in everything give thanks. Not necessarily always for everything, but in everything. doesn't matter what your circumstances is, we give thanks to God. And then in verse 10 it says, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And we saw the first thing is that Paul's desire was he was praying exceedingly that he might see their face. So that was the first thing. And then we spoke about his faith. We spoke about the faith that he speaks there. Um, and we made a few comments on what faith isn't. And so there's this common idea that faith is either magical and so you get saved and all of a sudden you have more faith or just speak faith and things come into existence and you speak those truths into your life. We also looked at the idea that somehow faith and knowledge are contrary to one another in that you almost not, you need to not know about something in order to exercise faith in it and that, how that is not what the Bible speaks about as faith, this complete blind faith that is based on no evidence. And so we said that faith is directly um, related to knowledge. Faith is... Um, based on evidence, and faith grows in trials. And so those are the, some of the lessons we learned about faith. And then in verse 11 it says, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And um, what we looked at here is God's direction, how God directs our lives, and how that it's more something of you seek God, and God shows you the way than God overruling your free will and just having you do whatever He wants you to do. God's guidance is one where you seek Him and He points you in the right direction. And He directs us through um, us seeking Him and acknowledging Him. That was the one thing. The other way in which God directs us is by His Spirit dwelling in us. And the last way is through wisdom. And that is through counsel and through His Word. And that is how God um, directs our ways. And this brings us to today's passage, verse 12 and 13. And this is where, after Paul had thanked God for, 
for these wonderful people that he ministered to in Thessalonica and expressed how deeply he wanted to see them, he prays for them. And we read his prayer in verse 12. So let's read verse 12. And it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so, based on these verses, the main focus or the topic of today would be love. Love and holiness that comes from this love. Now, I will be honest with you, I, um, I do not have a great deal of confidence in my ability to teach this lesson today. Um, I struggle to find exactly what it is that God wants me to say, but I trust His Word completely and I trust Him completely to guide us through this. So let's open our hearts and our ears to hear what God has to say this morning. So let's dig into verse 12. Um, in verse 12 it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another. You see it says the Lord make you to increase. It doesn't say the Lord give you. It, it says the Lord make you to increase. It, it, it's something that takes time. It's God slowly chiseling away at you. You almost being clay in the hands of the potter and Him shaping you, creating you, making you more like Christ in this time. It is Him making you to increase and abound in love. From this verse we can clearly see that something that Paul speaks about is brotherly love. He says that um, make it increase and abound in love one toward another. In um, 1 Peter 1 verse 22 as we read this morning he says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in the obeying of the truth through the spirit of unfeigned, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Something that I want you to notice in that verse is in the beginning it says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And then it says, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. And the thing that I want you to take note of there is the purifying effect of love in a Christian. The purifying effect of love in a Christian. And we're going to look at that as we go further. But I just want you to note that. And then also in Hebrews 13 verse 1, Paul says, or the author of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. So brotherly love is obviously something that the Bible emphasizes for us as Christians. But something that, if, you, if you've ever heard of the, um, the truth that love in the Greek language is not the same as we have it in, in English. There are different words that are usually translated only as love or as charity in the King James. And in the Greek they have different types of words that is translated as love. And that you have agape love, which is more the, the pure form of love in God towards you and the way we should aspire to love God. And we have um, the phileo love or Philadelphia love, which is more like a, a friendship love between um, between church people and brethren. And then you have your, um, I think it's storge or storge love, which is more familial love. 
And then you have eros, which is more your sexual love and all those things. But what I find interesting here is I expected this word here to be phileo or Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, which is the communal love which you should have. Whereas here in verse 12 it says, And the Lord make it to increase and abound in agape to one another. Which I think is something worth showing because... It means that this love that we are to have towards one another is a love that comes from God. It is, it is a pure love. It is His love toward us that makes us able to love one another better. It is His love towards us that makes us love one another better. Have a look at um, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. So love stems from you knowing you are loved, first loved by God. That is where our love stems from. First John chapter 3 and um, verse 16. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see that connection between God's love and our love for the brethren? Have a look at 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4. And verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us not love, uh, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this, wo- in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him here in his love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us we also also ought to love one another god's love for us and us growing in our knowledge of his love for us and seeing the reality of his love for us will help us to love those around us better. And so, if God is love, as it says, God's source, God is the source of love. And because God is the source of love, we can't love externally from Him. And so that should be our desire. Our desire should be to love God better. And I know I, I think I, I've said this a few twi- times quite recently, and that is that we all need to focus more vertically. We all need to focus more upward to God and less horizontally. Because the more our focus becomes God, the more we pursue God, the more we dwell in fellowship with Him and realize His love for us and how we grow in love for Him, we, will not, we, can't, we won't be able to stop ourselves but to love those around us better, to do more for those around us as we grow closer to God in love. And our love for God will be expressed in our love. For people. Now let's look further in verse 12. 
It says, And the love of God make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. But then Paul says, That's not enough. He says, And toward all men, even as we do toward you. And toward all men. You can open to Matthew chapter 5. Keep your place, but open to Matthew chapter 5. This one is um, slightly more challenging than the one we just discussed, the brotherly love. It's easier to love those around you who love you and who are surrounded around the same truth. And, um, but Jesus takes it a step further, and, and that's why Paul also takes it a step further. So, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on, um, on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so Jesus makes the point that do you see that God makes it rain over the just and the unjust? And so in the same way we need to love not only those that are our brethren, but those who are our enemies. In the same way that God makes it rain over the just and the unjust. And he says, because even those enemies of yours, they greet those people who are, who are their friends. They greet those who are close to them. So what are you doing more if you do the same? You're just doing what they're doing. And then he says in verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. In other words, let your love be as complete as God's love is towards all men. Love those, even your enemies. So love not only those who love you. That is the challenge that Paul is putting out here to the Thessalonian church. Those who persecuted us, those who chased Paul and them out of the city, those are the people you're supposed to love. And those are the people you're supposed to also reach out to. So, we're speaking about love, um, and I thought it would be good to say, what is, what is biblical love? What is biblical love? What does it look like to love my enemy? Have a look at 1 Corinthians 13. I think it's one of the most familiar places in Scripture, probably. But I think it is worth looking at that again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the statement I want to make about this is that love has more to do with how you treat people. Not so much what is almost promoted these days as love is almost, it's just a feeling. It's fleeting. It's temporary. Whereas I think what the Bible teaches is it's, it's sacrificial. It's not temporal. It is um, much stronger. It is it is, a, it is a, almost a choice and a continuation in that. So, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, 
and have not charity. I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now that word charity is that same word agape, which is used um, in First Thessalonians. Um, I have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all my- mysteries um, and all knowledge, and though I hate, uh, oh, <laughs> though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Then it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You see how charity is about what you do, the way you act, the way you treat others. It speaks about being kind. Charity suffereth long, is kind. It envieth not, it vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseen, it seeketh not its own. You see, it's, it's that, if you treat others with that, from that perspective, in that character, it is loving those around you. It is how you treat people that the Bible says. And that's why the word charity, I think a good way to see that is to see love in action. It's not a feeling. It's not something that you believe to be true, but it has no effect in your life. So love in action. If God is love, which we read in 1 John, and 1 Corinthians 13 describes love, then this directly describes God's heart toward us. God suffers long. God is not puffed up towards us. God is kind toward us. You see, he's, he's not provoked. There's, there's something in God's love. Now we know God is balanced and God is also wrath and God is justice. But there is, in his love, there is all these character traits. And if this is who God is... This is what Paul is admonishing them to be like. He wants these people to apply this to themselves. To ask themselves, am I kind? Am I um, not puffed up? Do I behave myself unseemly? What God, that is what Paul is challenging these people to do, is to love with this love that God loves us. In, um, back in um, 1 Thessalonians, It speaks there in verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. And so the next thing that I want to point out is that love sanctifies. Remember I told you in 1 Peter 1 verse 22 that phrase that purifieth your souls and how that the connection between you being purified and love in your life is directly connected. 
And so in verse 13 we see this as well. Following verse 12 it says, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. There is a sanctification that happens through love. And that is why we need to be close to God if we are to express real love. Now if, if love has to do with how we treat others, then the first thing I thought about then, surely there should be um, guidelines to what it is to treat someone right, what it is to do right to someone. And um, in, in Romans 13, you can turn there if you want, in Romans 13, Paul speaks about the law, and he speaks about most of, well, five of the, of the Ten Commandments in this specific um, verse here, in um, Romans 13 and verse 9. Remember, love has to do with how you treat others. So in Romans 13 verse 9 it says, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And um, what Paul is essentially saying here is that these five commandments that we have here, those things are all to do with how you treat those around you. And if God is concerned with how we treat those around us, then this is why the Ten Commandments, in a way, is how to love God and then how to love those around you. And that's exactly what Jesus said um, is the whole law. And um, here we see that love worketh no ill to its neighbor. And that is why love sanctifies. Love is what makes you treat those around you better. In First John 5, 1 John 5 and verse 1, we also see how John connects the law or the commandments to love. Connects the commandments to love. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that, bega um, that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Once again, commandments and love connected. It's not that it is legalism, it's not that somehow through your keeping of a law you are sanctifying or justifying yourself, sorry. It's not that that's what justifies you, but it's because you have been justified that now you want to love the brethren. You want to become more like Christ and Christ gave His life in sacrificial love. And so you want to become more like Christ and because of that, you keep the commandments, not as in Jewish law and do not eat that. You keep the, the moral commands or guidelines which God has given us in His Word. I like this quote that I read. It says, the whole law is love. There is no duty to which it does not incline. 
no sin from which it does not restrain. The whole law is love. There is no duty to which it does not incline, and no sin from which it does not restrain. All right, let's get back to our text and finish off verse 12. It says there, And toward all men, even as we do toward you. And so Paul does not only say how they should live, but he lives the way they should live. He does not only preach, he also practices what he preaches. Do you practice what you preach? We all can do with asking ourselves this question more. We all know a lot of things, and we all know that we should live in a certain way, but we don't always do it. We all know there are things that God wants us to do, which we don't do. But when you speak to someone else, you may preach that truth. And so the question is, do you practice what you preach? Or are you like Jesus, like the Pharisees that Jesus called out, a Pharisee? Because Jesus said in Matthew 23, he said, saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you, to observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You don't want to be a Pharisee. You don't want to be those people that Jesus pointed out the whole time. But Jesus pointed them out for their hypocrisy, for not doing what they preach. So let's all like Paul, as we have this example here in verse 12, and also like Jesus, who lived what he preached. Um, Let's all use our influence, whether your influence is big or small, to make an impact by practicing what you preach. And I think a great thing to practice is the love which the Bible teaches us to love with. All right, let's get into verse 13. Verse 13. It says, To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Before I say something about that, turn to Colossians, a few pages to the left. Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Sorry, Colossians 3, verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now look, listen to verse 14. 
And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. He, he mentions things like, in verse 12, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, sorry, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. And then he says, above all these things, put on charity. It says, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And um, in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3, it says there, to the end he may establish your hearts. So if you put these together, God's love is, or love is the, the foundation of all, I want to say, Christian graces. Love is the thing which everything, your kindness, everything that we read in Colossians chapter 3, all of those things are grounded in love. All those things fall away if love falls away. I read this quote that says that no, there is no stability in Christian graces apart from love. Above all other graces, we are exhorted to put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It is a girdle which adorns and binds together all the rest. Love is the fulfilling of the law, the infallible test and evidence of stability. I like the idea that it girdles it all. It brings it all together. It, it keeps it all together as love. Because you can treat someone supposedly kindly, but it may not come from, from a heart of love. You can, when someone does something, you can react in a way that's not puffed up. But inside of yourself, you're doing it purely for the sake of not maybe offending or not looking like you are proud. So whatever the case may be, love needs to be the source of all those deeds. Biblical love received from God and lived out by us brings stability to the soul like nothing else. We read it in, in verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts. Establish. There is a establishing. There's a stability that comes with this love. And part of the stability that comes from truth um, and it makes us more like Christ. So part of the idea or part of the knowledge that you are being sanctified, you are being made more like Christ, as this verse also speaks of that holiness before God, is also part of what establishes you. And um, I think in a, in, a, in a society that is really falling left and right and grabbing onto anything that could give them some sort of stability, it is very important for us to hold on to God's word Hold on to the love that is in there and show that love because there's very few things that can bring stability to a life than the knowledge of God's love for a sinner through the love of Jesus Christ and God giving His Son for them. So something I want to point out here in verse 13 is that a practical pursuit of holiness comes from brotherly love. In verse 12 we read about brotherly love. We read about how we need to treat each other. And then in verse 13, he says, to the end. So the goal of that is holiness before God. Holiness before God. So brotherly love is a practical pursuit of holiness. And I'd like to elaborate on that and how we get there is that if you love those around you, you will treat them right. 
right? If you love those around you, you will treat them right. To treat them right is to treat them according to Christ's example and commands. So if you love those around you, you'll treat them right. And to treat them right is to love them according to Christ's example. And to live like this is to become more like Christ. It is to become holier. It is to become sanctified. You see how that starts from the origin is love and how you treat others and how that starts making you more like Christ. And so a practical pursuit of holiness is brotherly love. I just briefly want to say this holiness is not, it's not something you earn. Okay? We need to be careful what we say when we, when we speak about these things. I'm not saying that you loving and doing this and treating other people kindly, you are making yourself righteous. You are making yourself right before God. That is not what I'm saying. Righteousness comes purely through Jesus Christ. We have done wrong, and nothing that we do can undo the wrong that we have done. And so we need to, what needs to happen is Christ needs to take a substitutionary place. He needs to, you need to be, as it says in Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, that um, we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. That is what happens. You get made righteous in Christ. So I'm not preaching that become holy, try and work your way to heaven. That's not all what I'm saying, and that's not all what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that you can, through this love, loving other people this way, you make yourself right with God. That is the, I want to say, the holiness of your soul. But as you know, your soul is dead in trespasses and sins. Your soul needs to be saved. Your soul needs to be quickened by this love and this work of Christ. What this is talking about is the holiness of, of your heart. It says that. Establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So the holiness of your heart, it is your thoughts and your imaginations. That's what God, or that's what Paul wants them to, to cleanse, is their thoughts and their imaginations, which we know is the origin of our deeds in the end. So the way we act comes from our heart, and that's why our heart needs to be made holy. That's why our heart needs to be purified. And so this is speaking about sanctification, becoming holy, blameless. In other words, becoming more like Christ. It is your heart towards God. I want to read First John on this point. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him, as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. It starts off in verse 1 speaking about the love of the Father. And we are called the sons of God. 
Then it goes on to say in verse 3 that every man that hath also speaks about in verse 2, it speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. So you have the love of the Father which is what saved you and that knowledge of that love that He has given you unmerited. And then you have the coming of Jesus Christ. And those two things, those who have that, that hope in them, salvation and Jesus Christ's return, purifieth Himself and even as He is pure. So... The reason I point that out to you is even in, in verse 13 of chapter 3, it also says the, at the end of the verse, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. And so we should strive to become holier in our heart. We should strive to become more like Jesus Christ. And this love that He has for us and the hope of His coming aid a Christian in this pursuit of holiness. It helps us to become more like Jesus Christ. And then at the end of verse 13 it says, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Now, I'm leaving a lesson on the second coming for later on in chapter 4. But for now I just want you to know this, and that is that Jesus Christ is coming back. And it says there, He is coming for all His saints. If you are saved, you are called a saint. And you will be going with Christ to your eternal home. Away from sin and away from all the pain and suffering that is in this world. And you will be forever with Him, never to return in the same way that you ever lived before. And so the day you get saved is the start of your eternal life. Because from there on out, only your flesh passes away. And you will be forever with the Lord. So, the only thing that's important, and that's what Paul is saying here, is that if you have unrepented sin in your life, it doesn't disqualify you from meeting with Christ in the clouds and returning with Him to heaven. But it does affect your rewards in heaven and in the millennium. So, that's Paul's message. Pursue holiness. Not to earn heaven but because you have been gifted eternal life through Jesus Christ. And now seek to please Him and know Him better. So if I could sum up these two verses, that say something like this. The source of your love is God. Grow in the reality of His love for you, and you will love Him and those around you more. This love will give you sure footing in a wavering world as you grow in Christ-likeness till He comes and makes all things new. Amen. Father, we thank You for this time. Lord, thank You for that we could just stop for a moment and, and learn about the incredible love um, that You have for us, Lord. For you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. Love is action. Love does. And um, thank you, Lord, for doing that amazing gift, giving us your Son so that we may have eternal life. And Lord, I ask that you would please work in our hearts um, if there are things that we need to do um, to, to love you better, to love those around us better.
please come and show us clearly, Lord, that we may be able to do that, Lord, and that we won't just be hearers of your word, but also doers. And um, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and that we don't have to go around and through this life blindly trying to find some way of, of pleasing you and trying hopefully to attain eternal life, but Lord, that you have given it to us. Uh, it gives so much stability to our, to our hearts and I think, Lord, we grow so used to that. But Lord, please remind us um, of that great grace it is to be saved. And if anyone here is trying to, to win their way to heaven through being a good person, Lord, please come. Open their eyes to see that that is a lie for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And um, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And Lord, we all need you. We all need your perfect sacrifice, our Lord Jesus Christ. And please, Lord, please be with us in the rest of this morning. Please come speak with us further. And Lord, we thank you for the great love that you have showed for us. In Jesus' name, amen.